Hi everyone, uh, this is Pastor Jeff, and this is a re-recording of my message from the 27th of August on deconstruction. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be as dynamic as it was on Sunday. We had a lot of interaction. It was really lively, but I still wanted to get the main ideas out there because I think I want to follow up on this in some future messages, and I think it's just a really timely um, message, both in terms of me working out how to approach this topic and to offer some guidance pastorally to those who are, are finding themselves deconstructing, tempted to deconstruct, uh, or have a loved one, someone they care about who are going down this road and they're concerned about them. So deconstruction is this fancy sounding word that has become more and more prominent, especially if you spend time online. There's more and more articles written about it. Uh, we're hearing the word come up in connection to this exodus of Christians from regular church involvement. We're hearing from many of these Christians, uh, maybe it's friends, uh, family members, that they are deconstructing their faith. And while the details are different, the overall pattern is that there's something that they've experienced, something that they have encountered which has caused them to begin reckoning with what they understand to be the failures of the church or Christians, or in the most extreme cases, Christianity itself. And so they are deconstructing their faith. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's a term that defies easy definition because depending on the context, it can have a quite a lot of meanings. And even if you look at people who professionally study this, either within Christian circles or in literary circles, no one has a standardized definition. And you're going to experience this as you have conversations with people who invoke that term. You might talk to three or four different people who are deconstructing and realize, oh, they're describing something slightly different, or the posture of their heart is very different. But they're all using the same word. And that's why I often ask a lot of questions before I get to the place of getting a handle on what the person is describing if they've used that term deconstruction. Because it can stand for something as generic and broad as just trying to figure things out in my faith. Um, maybe I'm having some doubts. And I'm just trying to figure out if all these puzzle pieces that I've been given, do they fit together? And are some of them even biblical? And so I'm kind of critically analyzing faith. But deconstruction can also mean an intentional process of deconversion from anything remotely connected to Christianity. And so it's really difficult to discern whether deconstruction as a phenomenon is normal and necessary or whether it's, well, maybe normal, but it's actually dangerous. And if you talk to a number of different pastors, I would argue that depending, almost like a coin flip, you'll get a 50-50 chance of having one pastor say, yeah, I think deconstruction, if done well, is, is, is normal and healthy and constructive, ultimately. And another pastor will say, you know what, I, I don't share that view. I don't think it's a healthy posture of evaluating and analyzing the faith. 
So <clears throat> let's start though with the most colloquial common place usage. And I think Urban Dictionary really nails this one. And that is that when many people talk about deconstruction or deconstructing their faith, what they mean is they're reevaluating their faith and what they've been taught to believe. So it's often people who've grown up in the church or who have a long tenure in the church. And <clears throat> often it is connected to abandoning a kind of fundamentalism, which was very rigid, didn't encourage or reward asking questions, or um, it didn't encourage or reward thoughtful intellectual um, inquiry. In this colloquial usage, it is often people moving from some form of faith to another form of faith. Maybe it's more logical or empathetic or progressive. But for others, it can mean losing faith entirely. So the most colloquial definition is deconstruction is a reevaluating of your faith and what you've been taught to believe. Which so far so good, right? Because... That is kind of what the process of growth and maturity is, is to take the things that we've been taught to go back into scripture and use our critical thinking and look at church tradition and <clears throat> hold all these things together and say, is my understanding of this correct? Is the way that I live it out? Is the application of these things correct? So reevaluation, great, right? I mean, that should be a mark of any maturing Christian. But when we look at at more technical definitions of deconstruction. This is where there's kind of a divergence among even pastors in terms of whether or not we want to invoke that word. Webster defines it as an analytical examination of something, such as a theory or a collection of ideas, in order to reveal its inadequacy. The American Heritage Dictionary defines deconstruction as a philosophical theory of criticism, usually literature or film, that seeks to expose deep-seated contradictions in the work by delving below its surface meaning. The Encyclopedia Britannica says, in popular usage, the term has come to mean a critical dismantling of tradition and traditional modes of thought. The Cambridge Dictionary, lastly, says deconstruction is a detailed examination of a text in order to show that there is no fixed meaning, but that it can be understood in a different way by each reader. What I want you to notice is the difference between the colloquial definition and the themes that are embedded in the technical definitions. The colloquial definition sort of leans on this word of reevaluating, examining, kind of going back and testing it out. All good things. The technical definitions, though, listen to some of these words inadequacy, deep seated contradictions, dismantling of tradition and traditional modes of thought. The process of uncovering the fact that texts have no fixed meaning. Please hear and see that whatever deconstruction is, it's something different 
than open-hearted and intellectually rigorous examination and investigation. And that's because deconstruction has an intention. It has a telos. It has an endgame. And that is to undermine the authority of something that is believed to be outmoded or dangerous. We deconstruct things that we are suspicious are outmoded and dangerous. Now, there are many expressions of faith that you could absolutely argue are outmoded and dangerous. But this is why personally, pastorally, I don't like to attach the term deconstruction to people reevaluating and analyzing uh, and examining in a rigorous way their faith. Because I think that's just called spiritual formation. That's just what the Bereans were applauded for doing in the book of Acts, where they don't just take the words of Paul as gospel, they go back into the text and confirm that what he's saying lines up with biblical truth. So to be someone who's intellectually engaged and thoughtful and questioning and trying to separate the, the, the gold from the dross, that's a good virtue. But when we're using the term deconstruction, whether or not we're always aware of it, what we're invoking is a philosophical system that is designed to sort of lead us towards a, an undermining of not just a few things that um, maybe were um, distorted or perverted in terms of theology or practice, but the entire system needs to be deconstructed deconstructed, exposed as outmoded or dangerous, and therefore ultimately rejected. And again, I know there's some Christians who say, that's not how I view deconstruction. And I'm saying, I get that. But I just want to establish the reason why I don't think it's wise. I wouldn't say it's sinful. I wouldn't say it's wrong. But I would say it's unwise for a Christian who's having a crisis of faith and is really trying to work through a theological or a personal um, issue to say, I'm deconstructing my faith. I think there are better ways and more biblical ways to frame it, right? I mean, obviously deconstruction is not a biblical word, but words like formation and um, reformation and contending and examining, these are all biblical virtues that we are all called to as Christians. Now, I don't want people to get to this point and say, well, yeah, okay, that's kind of what I thought. I thought deconstruction was kind of a bad thing. So we should just like, you know, wag our finger at people who are deconstructing and say, don't you do that. That's not very good. Deconstruction is fueled by all kinds of reasons, right? It's important to ask, why are so many people, or why is there a perception that so many people are deconstructing? Where is this disillusionment happening with faith or Jesus, God, the Bible, the church, Christianity, where is this coming from? And it's important to recognize that there aren't um, sim simple, obvious answers. There's no, oh, well, here are the top three reasons. Because the things that cause individuals to say, I'm not just struggling in my faith, but I'm actually 
wanting to deconstruct it are incredibly varied. I, I threw this out for people on Sunday morning, and these were some of the, the things that we, we discussed. There's more than this on, um, you know, this is not a comprehensive list, but these were the things that for our community were, were named. One was just being raised in an incredibly rigid legalistic environment where you know you sing songs about Jesus's grace and God's love, but the culture on the inside is just anxiety producing and it feels very restrictive and not life-giving at all. And it just feels like everyone's behaviorally policing each other. And if you've ever been in that kind of a suffocating environment, um, it's, it's awful to grow up in that. And, and when that gets fused with what you perceive Christianity to be, you are going to come to a place in your life, whether it's adolescence or young adulthood, where you say, I don't want to have anything to do with Christianity if that's the way it's supposed to be expressed. Right? For other people, it's scandals or moral failings of their religious leaders or of the church or what they perceive to be the church more broadly. Right? When we have that sense of the people who are supposed to lead by example fail us in the most, in some cases, egregious ways, that breeds tremendous disillusionment. And it can really usher people into a deep crisis of faith. Uh, we talked about secularization, that there is a, a steady stream of anti-Christian bias in the media. Right? Try and think about the last positive um, mainstream article or feature in the news about churches or Christianity. You won't. I mean, you'll have to search for a long time. And, and, the, and the disparity between the negative and the positive is massive. Now, I'm for publishing the negative. I'm for shining a light on abuse and injustice um, but it is telling that sort of the editorial gatekeepers in our culture seem very eager to foreground the failures. And I think part of that, not for all of them, but I think for many, I would argue, is, again, because their underlying desire is to deconstruct Christianity at a cultural level, they want to, they want to have people associate faith and Jesus and God and the Bible with negative things. And so as there's this steady, slow drip of negativity and suspicion and cynicism that is connected and directed towards Christianity. And that can be hard to live in, especially in our culture where maybe we're two generations removed from the church at a social level being celebrated and seen as an important institution and not perfect, but absolutely a pillar of the community, not something to be suspicious and uh, wary of. Another cause of deconstruction can be hypocrisy, right? Um, perceived hypocrisy within religious communities can be deeply disillusioning. And when individuals witness other people in their church especially those who were elevated to positions of influence, formal leadership, informal leadership, when, when people see those people acting 
you know, Monday through Saturday in a way that is diametrically different than how they're posturing on Sunday, you know, people rightly uh, want to distance themselves from that kind of hypocrisy, that kind of play acting and leveraging religion for their own gain instead of a sincere, uh, devoted walk with God. Religious trauma coming from those who have, again, this is sort of connected to the those who've grown up in stifling, um, fundamentalistic environments. There can be emotional, psychological, even physical harm that's justified through certain Bible verses or scriptural themes. Maybe one of the largest that's uh, shared by those who have talked to me about their deconstruction journeys is some kind of personal suffering, right? They've gone through an illness, a loss of some kind of trauma. And that can cause people to lose their faith because a lot of us, um, whether consciously or not, we, we expect faith to quote unquote work for us. Meaning, I expect God to bless me. And we sort of have this bias that says, if I'm faithful and I'm looking to God and I'm trying to do the right things, and if God's really good, then there'll just be sort of a natural rhythmic outpouring of blessing upon blessing. So even though that's not a biblical idea, it's not a, an example that we see in Scripture, people's lives, even the, the very righteous, um, and those who are most devoted to God, with Jesus himself being uh, the uh, ultimate example of that, suffering and hardship and loss and tragedy still enters into their story. But when that happens for us, we can often um, have this record scratch moment where we wonder whether or not it's worth it. Now, those are some of the reasons that are often shared by people who are willing to talk about their deconstruction journey. But we also had a few other uh, individuals on Sunday share the reasons that aren't so popular to share that I do think play into this conversation, right? One is that people deconstruct because they want control of their lives, meaning they get to a place and faith was complementary to their life, but then they get to a certain um, phase of life. Maybe they come into a sense of agency when they're young adults and they kind of feel like the world's their oyster. And they sort of understand that Christianity is a faith of surrendering your life to God. We even talk about giving your life to Christ, which is pretty easy to do on one level. When you're 13, you don't have much of a life. But when you're in the midst of life or about to set a trajectory for your life and you're like, this is where I want my life to go. That can be tempting to say, I don't want to, I don't want Christianity to be true, or at least I want to examine whether or not I actually have to lean into these larger biblical themes of surrender, of, um, of pursuing Jesus, of making Jesus and his agenda the center of my life and not what I want. And so sometimes it is this prideful impulse to say, I don't want to yield control of my life. For others, it's the discovery of a certain kind of sinful lifestyle or sinful pattern that 
frankly they enjoy they want to go down and they realize that i can't go down this road and continue with any integrity to call myself a sincere and faithful christian and so they're looking for ways to justify going down that sinful path well does the bible really say this i don't know it's kind of clear i've seen stuff online that i don't know kind of has me call into question whether or not you know this is always wrong and so there can be this seed of unbelief that has emerged under the surface and maybe lastly and it's um it's one that on one level we can never know but i think it's important because jesus uh, talked um, about these realities and that is you know there are people who are quote-unquote deconstructing from the faith who are never genuine sincere Christians they grew up in the church they uh, participated in stuff um, maybe they know a lot of their Bible maybe they can say prayers in front of people they they understand how to conform they understand the culture of the religious environment they grew up in enough that they can sort of uh, fake it to make it but once they have an opportunity to walk away they they take it and they do it through the through the path of deconstructing the faith and making it i mean it's almost kind of baptizing rebellion with a kind of um sophistication right like to deconstruct your faith is um can, can sound sophisticated but to just say yeah i just don't want to do this I don't want to give Jesus my life. I, I don't, you know, I don't really know what the Bible says, but what I do know or what I've heard just seems dumb. and I'm just walking away. So it can just be this unbelief, this um, resistance and rebellion against God that has just not ever come to the surface because it hasn't needed to. And now when people, again, move into a different stage of life, they just say, yeah, you know what? I'm just kind of stating it but maybe not wanting to offend some of their Christian friends or family members instead of just saying like, yeah, I think the whole thing is bollocks. They just say, well, I'm just kind of deconstructing and it sort of becomes a slow process. So again, you can see there's lots of reasons and, and I had more reasons written down than that, but I wanted to share a few of those because what I want us to be sensitized to is that we're all going to be touched by at least one of these uh, crises or temptation points in our life. We're going to experience loss. We're going to experience confusing, a, a confused understanding of maybe a story in the Bible that, that rubs us the wrong way, that offends our sensibilities. Um, we're going to be tempted to say, yeah, do I actually want to go down this path? Like, do I actually want to follow through on this idea that Jesus is my Lord, not just my Savior? And hopefully that gives us some empathy towards those who find themselves very disillusioned and skeptical in seasons of life. You know, I have a lot of empathy for those who have grown up in what I would call emotionally manipulative, abusive, and suffocating religious environments. It pains me to hear their stories where their genuine doubt and questions and what was ultimately, I think, in many cases, seeking God was just shut down. And they were tr demeaned or treated as stupid or unfaithful and just told to, you know, quote unquote, move on, get on with it and conform to the way that a quote unquote Christian is supposed to act. Part of that being you don't ask some of these tougher 
more uh, intellectually rigorous and challenging questions. That breaks my heart. So I have a lot of empathy on the front end for people who are deconstructing. And so when I hear someone use that term, I almost always want to start with a posture of empathy because there's often, uh, even if it's just perceived, but there's, there's, there's real pain, perceived pain, betrayal, hurt, often fueling this movement. And, and I want us to be sensitized to the fact that when these kinds of events happen, when these decision points arrive in our lives, where we say, am I going to press into understanding or unbelief? And there's sort of a dark night of the soul and we're having these crises of faith and, and you realize there's sort of two paths ahead of you. I can sort of walk away from faith or undermine it versus pressing into a deeper and greater faithfulness. Um, again, I think to be sensitized how scary and destabilizing and disorienting that place is, uh, is really important. Because if you have someone in your life sharing that with you, they're sharing something that, um, I mean, unless they are really um, just cosmetically dressing up their own complete uh, rejection of Christianity and their, their, but, you know, I think most people who are deconstructing are genuinely trying to wrestle through issues, um, some of these issues that we've talked about. I think it's really important to recognize that if that seems strange to us, if we are tempted to dismiss their deconstruction is silly because they should just have more faith or they should, you know, that's not an issue for you to realize that you are going to experience something like that at some point in your life. You're going to have to have, you, you will face these, um, these pathways between, am I going to, in a sense, walk away from Jesus and faith, or am I going to, in spite of my doubt and disillusionment, move forward? And to that end, I really like this um, a quote from Trevin Wax on what biblical doubt is. Because, again, depending on the environment that you've grown up in, doubt can be seen as a four-letter word or as a virtue. So what, what's the difference? What, 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 what makes it one versus the other? And I like his quote. He says, biblical doubt is faith-seeking understanding, not unbelief-seeking confirmation. Biblical doubt is faith-seeking understanding, not unbelief-seeking confirmation. And I hope you hear the posture of the heart there. Biblical doubt is saying, I love God. I'm committed to God. I'm hurt by this. I feel betrayed. I feel like God's a million miles away, or I can't believe that this is happening in my church or in the context of my relationship. I'm in pain, but I'm going to continue to move forward in faith while I try and figure out how these pieces fit together, even though right now I feel wrecked. That's faith-seeking understanding. Unbelief-seeking confirmation is what we talked about before. Someone who actually has already decided they don't want to follow Jesus. They want to reject Christianity, but for whatever reason want to be sort of more polite about it. And so what you do is you go out of your way to find all the things that reinforce your unbelief that allow you to say, oh, see, like, I'm not the only one. This person, yeah, yeah, like, I've, I've seen this, I've seen that. Um, I'm watching things on TikTok that are people throwing out 
ideas that um, I mean, I'm not going to confirm whether they're true or not, but they sound it sounds kind of right. And as I pull all these things together, yep, Christianity is kind of a joke, and that's why I'm walking away. So unbelief seeking confirmation is not the same as someone with faith who seeks understanding. So what does it look like? I mean, if you're in a place where you're like, I'm, I'm basically wanting to walk away from faith, um, then that's a, this, that, there's a different message for that. But I want to speak right now to those who want to structure their lives so that when these difficult times come, they lean into having faith while they seek to understand or to help those in their life who are deconstructing and wanting to nudge them towards constructive ways of processing that. So let's talk about how we face the phenomenon of deconstruction, at least at the individual level. These are going to be really quick. I'm going to throw them out quickly. They're insufficient uh, thoughts and ideas. I'll be sharing more on social media uh, during this week. But this is a starting nudge in the right direction. So at the individual level, I'm thinking through the categories of heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Relationships, our own interiority and prayer life, um, our knowledge of the Bible and theology, and the way we express our faith and live it out. And I'm taking those categories and saying, what are ways that we can organize our lives so that we cultivate more faith? Not so that we never have a crisis of faith, but so that when we do, our impulse is not to deconstruct our faith or the faith, but reevaluate it through Scripture, led by God's Spirit, with maturity, with leveraging um, the insights of Christians who are uh, wiser and more thoughtful than us, so that we, yes, maybe purge unhealthy elements of our faith away while keeping what is uh, good and true and right and holy and God-honoring and build on that. So at the level of heart, which is relationships, I would say watch the company that you keep, especially if you're in a mode where you are tempting, where you are tempted to deconstruct or you are in that, um, you are, you've gone really down that path. It's really important to be careful of the company that you keep. We are influenced by, you know, the, the, the one to four core people around us. And that doesn't mean that we have to surround ourselves with people who are avoiding, again, doubt, uh, crises of faith, honest questions. But I think it's important to avoid people who seem to take pleasure in deconstructing their faith. I think you, if you're a Christian, I think you should distance yourself from other Christians, and I'll use that in quotations, who seem to take pleasure in deconstructing the faith, highlighting things that are wrong with Christianity. And again, like the media, there's no, there's no balance. There's no nuance. There's just a steady stream of cynicism, animosity, resentment. And after a while, you sort of realize, I feel like this person... <laughs> is not looking to rebuild their faith. They're just looking to tear down their own and to other people. And I think it's totally okay and, and probably very, very wise and good if you as a Christian, not necessarily cut them out of your life, but cut them out of your inner circle. You don't want people poisoning you 
against the faith. At the level of soul, I think honest prayers and grieving are really important, especially the grief piece. A, a lot of Christians go down this road of deconstruction. I, I really feel like, I mean, it, you could argue it's part of the grieving process, but I would also argue it's a fruit of not grieving properly. So as we grieve and reckon with our own failures, the failures of those around us, of our leaders, of some of our churches, um, it's so important to grieve that loss well. It might involve therapy or counseling um, and to pray honestly to God, to, to, to shift out of a mode of prayer where we're just saying nice things to God and instead get real with God maybe in a way that you haven't before, especially when dealing with issues of personal suffering and loss. Bring that honesty into your prayer life. Challenge yourself to bear your heart and soul to God. In the area of mind, which is our theology, our biblical understanding, um, you know, you could make the argument all deconstruction comes from an insufficient theology that we're, we're, we're deconstructing. We think we're deconstructing the Christian faith, but we're really just deconstructing a very superficial understanding of the Christian faith that uh, we've been handed and not really constructed ourselves, or if we have constructed it, um, it's misshapen. For maybe for no fault of our own. We're just immature. There's a lot of things we have to learn or we haven't really done enough study over here. So it's important in these seasons when it feels like our foundation's been rocked and we're like, wow, how did, this completely changes my understanding of who God is or, or uh, the nature of suffering or how I'm supposed to understand myself or other people. Those aren't times necessarily to, well, I don't think there's that. Those are ever times to walk away from faith or to distance yourself. Those are times to say, wait a second, there's nothing new under the sun. Christians have been dealing with these kinds of things for thousands of years and come out stronger. What do I need to do? What do I need to understand about theology, about what the Bible says um, to ensure that my temptation to deconstruction isn't simply because I have a very superficial childish faith in a certain area, right? And you can think of something, a really simple example would be, well, if I give Jesus my life, God is good. So therefore Jesus will bless me all the time and everything will be amazing, right? And then you go through some real hardship and you're like, wait a second, I feel betrayed by God. Well, that's not a God problem. That's a you problem. That's not a Christianity problem. That's a you problem. You had a childish, immature, unbiblical understanding of what it was going to mean to devote yourself to God and what God's promise and provision for you meant. You understood that to mean only things that will, are good will come into my life. And so you have to grow your understanding of God, your theology of God. You have to grow your understanding of how God uses suffering in our lives. You have to un grow your understanding of what it means to be a sinful human being living in a sinful and broken world and God redeeming those things. And lastly, strength in the area of living out your faith. I think it's really important to become aware of the fact that in our culture, there is such a, an emphasis on self-glorification and self-gratification. Those language, those words, those terms aren't always invoked. But they are the steady drip of our culture. You're worth it. Self-love. You're enough. You know uh, what? You know you do. You do you. 
Uh, you do what seems right in your own eyes. No one can tell you how to live. And I think it's really important at the individual level as a Christian that you need to be continually reminding yourself that the call to faith, the actually the precondition for becoming a Christian is found in Matthew 16, where Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple. So he's talking to people who aren't his disciple, but he's saying this is the precondition. You must deny yourselves and take up your cross and follow me. Because if you want to save your life, you will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And in a culture that actively promotes self-glorification and self-gratification as the purpose of life, Jesus' prerequisite for discipleship is not just experienced as bold, but you need to be prepared for people to see it as bad as bigoted and as dangerous. And one of the things that you need to do as a Christian, and especially if you're going down this road of deconstructing, is to be serving and giving to other people. I know a lot of people who are deconstructing and part of how that is manifested is an increasingly self-absorbed, self-centered life, which will pollute and corrupt your soul. So even as you're working things out, find a way to de-center yourself. Find a way to humble yourself. Find a way to serve sacrificially for the good of someone else. Find a way to give sacrificially to the good of others. When it comes to supporting other people, I would say the most important things we can do if a loved one or a friend is deconstructing is to offer grace and patience and faithfulness. That's our starting posture. Grace, we want to offer grace, we want to understand, we want to be patient with people. The deeper the hurt, these aren't quick fixes. We can't just say, oh, well, you should just think about things this way. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, those years of religious trauma, they just melted away. Like, no, these are, some people are deconstructing because of deep wounds. Um, And so we have to offer grace and patience. And we have to press into faithfulness. We have to be the Christian witness to those family members and friends that they don't perceive Christians to be. We have to be understanding. We have to be um, offering love and care and support. That's so important. Now, I, I know some people are going to say, but what about the people who are just, they're deconstructing and, and they're, they're, they don't want support. Like they want to deconstruct. They want to undermine Christianity. Okay, that's something else again. Um, I think our first posture should always be to understand. And I've certainly come to decision points in the conversation where I realize, oh, this person actually isn't in the heart posture of faith-seeking understanding. This person wants to not believe Christianity is true. And that changes the conversation. And sometimes it ends the conversation. But I think we always want to start from a posture of, grace. We want to try and understand where people are coming from. Ask lots of questions. What does deconstruction mean to you? What's brought you here? Thank you for trusting me with this. I know this isn't easy to share. I'm not sure how to help right now, but I'll be praying for you. Um, Could I check in with you or how can I support you right now? These are ways that might seem small, but they're really important for those who feel isolated and often abandoned 
in their doubt and crises of faith. To close, I just want to share, it sounds strange to say it, but strange, um, I want to share the encouragement that even though now because of social media, media and the amplification of, of not just mainstream news, but like anybody has a soapbox, it can seem like there are tons of people leaving the faith, rejecting Christianity, demeaning it, dismissing it, deconstructing it out of malicious intent. <clears throat> and that can feel like a new phenomenon. But right from the start, people have turned away from Jesus. People have looked for reasons or found reasons to say, I don't want to follow Jesus anymore. In John 6, verse 66 to 69, it says that from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed Jesus. Jesus had just shared a difficult teaching about how his disciples would have to um, eat his flesh and drink his blood. They were going to have to make him a part of themselves. And people were like, you know what, that's, that's too, I didn't sign up for this. These are people who, who were already disciples and they turned their backs. And Jesus turns to the, to the 12 and he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? And Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. What a great counter question. Jesus is like, yeah, things are going to get tough if you follow me. It's not always going to be easy and frictionless and comfortable. Faith isn't a shield against all kinds of suffering or doubt or disillusionment. Do you want to leave? Now that you know that, do you want to leave too? And I love Peter's counter question. To whom shall we go? See, because if you deconstruct faith altogether, you're going to have to go somewhere, right? So who are you going to? To whom shall you go? That's the central question of life. Who do you think has the words of eternal life? Who or what are you going to center your life around? Who or what are you going to give your life to? And if you're honest with yourself and you land on something or someone other than Jesus, I want you to ask yourself this question. Do you think that alternative will be easier, will actually be more pain-free and more liberating than a humble, faithful devotion to Jesus, even if there are challenges that come with that, I, I have had many crises of faith. Well, I don't know about many. Um, that's a subjective word. I've had enough that I empathize with those who are tempted to walk away from faith. But I've always come back to one idea. I would rather be with Jesus in the storm than be with anybody else in a different storm. And I, I don't want that to sound religiously trite, like I really mean that. That has been an anchor for me. I did not devote my life to Jesus on the condition that he makes it easy and I'm hashtag blessed in everything. I devoted myself to him because I was convicted he is the Lord of reality. He is the only Savior and Redeemer of humankind. 
And even if the rest of my life was brutal by human standards, he will reward me for clinging to him, putting my faith and trust in him forever. When life is hard, when Jesus' teachings seem irrational, when Christianity at times seems incomprehensible or foolish or backwards or just plain hard, it's tempting to give up. But that actually doesn't help anything. Faith takes courage. Faith takes a kind of spiritual stubbornness. Yes, mature faith means facing the past, facing the trauma, moving into doubt, acknowledging the disappointment, the disillusionment, the losses, the tragedies. But instead of, instead of letting those things take root and define our life and faith, we go on the journey of understanding what does it look like to bring these to God and allowing him, him to redeem them for his glory and for our good. I want to end with a quote from Josh Porter, pastor of Van City Church. He talks about faith as a willful, disciplined lifestyle, regardless of doubt and disposition. It's a willful, disciplined lifestyle, regardless of doubt and disposition. It doesn't mean you don't have doubt. And it doesn't mean you don't have disposition someday where you're like, you know what, man, this is tough. Or I don't want to do this. But faith says, I'm choosing to follow Jesus, even when I'm not in the mood even when it isn't easy, even when it's confusing, right? I mean, that makes sense that that's how you would define faith because what's the alternative? Faith, I will follow Jesus when the stars align and everything's easy? It doesn't make any sense. Faith has to be a willful, disciplined lifestyle that I continue in even as I'm having, in some cases, big theological or existential doubts. And that's going to involve growth and change and discomfort. Real faith causes you to reevaluate. But that's what spiritual growth is. That's what maturity is. When you realize, oh, I have a childish view of something. And like Paul says in 1 Corinthians um, 13, I've left childish things behind me. I now grow into something richer, more robust. So if you're listening to this and you are deconstructing, I want to invite you to deconstruct your deconstructive impulse. And the reason why I'm doing that is in my pastoral experience, deconstruction will provide you with endless opportunities to deepen your cynicism and self-righteousness, and it will be a never-ending path to nowhere. To those who are doubting and are confused and are tempted to deconstruct, please reach out to me or a trusted Christian a friend or leader. I'll make it a priority to have coffee with you, um, to go for a walk, to be a trusted space where you can say, I'm, I'm really having a hard time with this. I don't know if I can believe this or what I believe about this. Those questions and wrestling are okay. They're good when they're brought into the presence of God and when they are brought with a heart posture that says, God, I have faith, but I don't understand this. Will you deepen and expand my faith so that I can faithfully follow you and wholeheartedly follow you? And thirdly, to those who are tempted to dismiss those who are deconstructing, let's offer grace and patience and faithfulness. 
because these are in many cases brothers and sisters who have been uh, deeply hurt and are unsure how to process that in a way that doesn't that allows them not to be swallowed up and overcome by that pain and so understand what even even if their even if their posture is anger understand that it comes from often a place of of real hurt and we want to be a place of love that is willing to journey with them and to everyone let's continue to fix our eyes on jesus the author and perfecter of our faith because it's only a faith grounded in a radical devotion to him that will lead us into the life that is truly life god bless guys um Thanks for uh, just listening through this long message. I hope it's a blessing to you and we'll follow up on some of these themes this week. God bless.